joyful we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melts the clouds of sin and sadness. Thank you for joining us for this program from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the Ninth Avenue. Good morning. I believe that's the first time, Wally, I've ever heard that song, but that is a powerful song. Jesus is Lord of all. And I hope that as you sing or sang the words to that song, that, that you listen to just the power of the things that uh, you were singing to God, the, the, the power you were giving God in your life. I know that I think Paul says it best when he says, not that I've already obtained all of this or already been made perfect, and I hear a song like that and, and this idea of I'm going to let God be in charge of everything in my life, I'm giving everything to God, and I kind of have to take that attitude of Paul, not that I've already achieved this, but he goes on and he says, but I keep pressing on, trying to trying to get there, and and, and that song, just, just such a powerful song. Thank you for leading that, Wiley. I really enjoyed that. Uh, I'm not sure if it was announced, but it was handed to me. Uh, Sister Bobby Hatton has uh, been able to come home. Uh, she is home, uh, but Suzanne has COVID, so they're asking for no visitors at this time. So uh, please remember Miss Bobby as she continues to uh, try to get better. And of course, for Suzanne as she uh, is battling with COVID, that seems to be affecting a few people uh, again. So we, we pray for those that it is affecting. Uh, open your Bible to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to continue in our series, Extraordinary Faith and the idea of stepping up to the challenge. This is kind of our, I guess, overarching theme for this particular section. I think it, it proves well to this section that ordinary people become extraordinary when they rise up and meet the challenge before them. So far, as we've read the first few chapter or the first, first few verses of Hebrews chapter 11, we've looked at the, faith, the challenges that Abel and Enoch have both faced. Uh, Abel faced the challenge of sinfulness and how he overcame that and how he dealt with that. Enoch lived in a society that was just full of ungodliness and how he walked with God and was faithful to God and shared the word of God. And today we get to our third example of extraordinary faith, Noah. As we are walking this journey um, with these people, as we've talked about last week, you know, uh, the idea of uh, Abel and and Enoch, uh, there's not there's not a whole lot written about them. We don't know a, a whole lot about their lives. There's just very quick snapshot verses of things that kind of happened and went on with them. But outside of Adam and Eve, outside of Adam and Eve, we get to Noah, and Noah is really that first Bible character that we can really kind of sink our teeth into, right? That we know about, that we know his story frontwards and backwards. We have, I mean, even in our nursery, we have a mural of, of the ark and, and the rainbow and all those things on the wall. It's a vacation Bible school story. It's little kid Bible class story. And so as we approach this particular passage, or this particular character and his kind of story of faith, it's easy to think of Noah in kind of that um, rainbow-esque way, right? This great, wonderful uh, story with, with all of the, the frills of it and, you know, two by two, and he built this big boat, and we kind of see it in the pictures of, of storytelling. 
But the truth is, the story of Noah is is an important story. It's a very, even though it's very early in the chapters of our Bible, uh, uh, the scholars believe that, you know, maybe uh, a thousand years or so has passed or several thousand years have passed. And so we're very well into the history, the beginning of the history of man. And, it, it, and it's to a point to where it's, it becomes a very challenging story, a very challenging time. If, if you uh, look, we'll just, we'll just kind of get into it. Uh, by faith, this is a passage from the Hebrew text. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family, but his uh, faith, uh, uh, sorry, by his faith, um, the command, uh, the con- commanded, the, by his faith, he condemned the world and became heirs of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So even from this, this section right here, we see that there was something about Noah that was extra special, something that was extraordinary, that he lived his life in a way that saved him, but also condemned the world. And so there's a challenge that kind of faces Noah. And as we think about that challenge, I'm going to sum up Noah's challenge today in the word culture. Now, we, we, we spent, just a few months ago, we spent a lot of time talking about culture and the challenges we face within culture and, and kind of how we've gone from a Christian culture to a non-Christian culture. But I think this is an interesting statement that I found this week. We have a history of Christ and Christianity influencing our culture. Raise your hand if you agree, if you agree with that. We have a history of Christ and Christianity influencing our culture. Let's let's look at it a little bit step further. Christianity influencing our culture. If you took out your dollar bills and your coins today, uh, if you walk to a lot of our national monuments, if you look in a lot of our um, bill, uh, federal buildings and state buildings across the country, you see the phrase of what? In God we trust. Even though everything that's going on in the world and our culture today, this still seems to be a motto that, that people hold to, they stick to, they grab to. It still represents us. Christianity and God still has that influence. We have holidays, Christmas and Easter, that that center around the idea of this is, we celebrate the death of Jesus here, and many people celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas. Our Pledge of Allegiance talks about God. Even the the silliness, if you will, of Halloween finds its roots in a day called All Hallows' Eve, which is a day of fasting and prayer leading into a period called All Saints' Day. Uh, the the uh, freedom of speech that we have in our country that's talked about in our Constitution is grounded in many ways in a religious aspect, that we have the freedom to practice and, and to speak the Word of God. Many of our most prestigious universities in our country find their roots and their foundings in Christianity. So the roots, uh, and and it's hard to, to get away from, and I think we all know this, the roots in our country, they are very much grounded in Christ, in God, in church, and the influence that comes by that. But when I think about roots, And I think about things living, things with roots don't live when you cut off the what? When you cut off the roots. If we look at this same statement and we cut off the root of Christ and Christianity, what do we have? We have our culture. We have a culture that uh, takes 
you know, good and positive things and finds ways to turn them into negative and sinful things. We're going to read a passage uh, here in just a minute that talks about the idea of they basically made up ways to sin. Our culture does that when, when I mean, you take a beautiful bouquet of flowers and you take them and you cut the roots off of them and you put them in a, uh, you put them in a vase and you take them to someone that you love. For a while, those flowers are going to be beautiful, right? And they can survive in that water and you can, you can, you know, trim things off and you can cut the, the base of those flowers again in a few days. You can add, you know, things to the water. But eventually, just because simply you cut the roots off, those flowers are going to eventually die. And as we see in our culture, we see our culture cutting the roots off of, of what we're so grounded in, what we're so grounded in, if, if that keeps to be the case, what happens to our society and our culture? It eventually what? Dies. And so what is our responsibility in a culture that is continually cutting the roots away from God? What is our responsibility as still being Christ followers? And that's what we're going to talk about as we get into this story today. Well, we're going to look at uh, the way it begins with Noah. We get to Genesis chapter 6. So if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 6, that's where we're going to start. And we see this kind of carries over from uh, last week's passage with Enoch. Um, it says, starting in verse 5, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was on evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. This is the culture that Noah is living in. And, and just like we talked about last week, that, I mean, this is a group of people that, just go back and look. What? <coughs> Listen, you've all heard me talk about it. I'm, I'm this way. I have ADHD, and it doesn't, if, it doesn't take you 10 minutes to notice that about me if you spend time with me. And, and I go back to this, and it says that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was on evil all the time. The thought that someone's mind could be focused on nothing but evil just amazes me. Because my mind doesn't focus on one thing for more than three minutes at a time, okay? More than three minutes at a time. I'm off to something else. But it had gotten so bad in this time that the only thing that the world thought about was evil. That was it. That's all he thought about. Everything that they thought about had that connection, had that connotation. Uh, we think that our world's bad, we think that our world's bad, but it's not this bad. Well, we've not gotten here yet. Well, if we keep heading the way we're going, yeah, we're going to get there. Scripture tells us we're going to get there, all right? We're, we're, the world in and of itself is going to get there, and at that point, Jesus comes back, right? And, and, but this is how bad it was, and it troubled God so deeply. It broke his heart. So the Lord said, starting in verse 7, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them, the animals and the birds and the creatures and the, that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. God basically comes down and says, hey, I'm not a fan of what you're doing to my creation. Mankind was the pinnacle. Mankind was the jewel. Mankind was the top of creation. It was the thing. He made all of these great and beautiful things. And we still see parts of that creation today, even though it's, it's a fallen part of creation. We still see his creation and the beauty. You can't help but go look at the sunset and just be in awe of God. To go outside 
and look at the stars at night and be in awe of God. We're made in God's image. God breathed life into us. But it had gotten so bad that God himself, the man that, that, that created all of this, he says, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. He's sick of it. He's tired of it. And he says, I'm going to start over. And, and look at where we've come from. We've come from God looked at everything and said, it is good in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 to now, I'm just going to start all over. I'm just going to wipe it out. With the exception of what? The exception of who? But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and walked faithfully with God. We see this last week, and we see this phrase this week, walking faithfully with God. There is this idea that no matter how bad the world gets around you, you get to make the decision. You get to make the choice. Do I give in to the world, or do I what? Walk with God. And so when that challenge comes, how do you respond? We see how, how Noah responds. The culture that Noah is facing, the world, people thought evil, imagined evil from day to night. But Noah, he was a different man. He was a man of integrity. He walked with God. So what did Noah get asked to do for God? What does Noah ask to do for God? To build a, kids, tell me, to build an, an ark. To build an ark. That's a big boat. How many Navy guys we got in the room? Just one? Just one Navy guy? How many big boats you've been on, Cecil? Not many. You should be only one. You can just make up. All of them. We don't know. You know, big boat. Um, you know, our 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 aircraft carriers of the day, our, our battle cruisers, I mean, these are some massive, massive things that, that man has created. But this is just, this is God and ingenuity at its finest. I mean, you're talking about man in a day of limited, you know, ability to do and to build things. He, he, is, he builds a boat. It takes him about 100 years, okay? It takes him about 100 years to build a boat that is approximately 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and four stories tall, and he lives in this boat for over a year. He lives in this boat for over a year. But I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to think about that for a second. Imagine that you're, imagine that you're living this life and you're living in this world and this world is just going, it's just awful and everything in it is bad and terrible and you've got your Navy guy Cecil out there and in his backyard, in his backyard right down 15th Avenue, he starts building this huge boat. He would tell you it's not a boat, it's a ship, right? You don't have boats, you have ships. He's got this big ship, this big aircraft carrier size that takes up half of 15th Avenue. And what are your thoughts about Cecil? I mean, really, who builds a ship in their backyard for, for no reason, right? And the whole time he's like, hey, look, look, you need to get ready and be ready because there's going to be a time you're going to have to get in this thing. And I'm like, if Cecil's building it, you know Cecil, if Cecil's building this boat, I'm not getting in it. It might sink. Water, rain, like all this stuff. Like what's, what's the, they could not even fathom that anything they were doing was wrong and that what he was doing, what he was doing was so countercultural, 
was so against everything that everybody thought. Why are you worried about 100 years from now, Noah? Why, why? I want you to think about that because I want you to understand and I want you to see that Noah truly was willing to do anything, anything that God asked him to do. No matter what the world around him thought, no matter what people around him said, he was willing to do whatever God asked. Of course, the challenge to that question or, or the question that follows that is, are you? Are you willing to do this? Are you willing to be, if the world is people thought evil, imagined evil, and, uh, and just did evil from day to night, are you willing to be the person that's different of integrity and someone who walks with God? In other words, are you willing to rise up and meet the challenge before you? Because we have a challenging culture that we live in. We do. So, so how do we rise up to that challenge? How do we live like Moses and do things like Moses? And I'm Moses, Noah, I put Moses in the ark every time. How do we live like Noah? Well, the first thing is this. If I'm going to rise up to the challenge, I have to realize a day of judgment is coming. A day of judgment is coming. When was the last time that you really just sat down and thought about there is going to be a day there's going to be a day that this world ends. There's going to be a day that Jesus does actually come back and he does bring all the world alive and dead in front of him and he judges them and he says, you were good, you were bad, you didn't do what I asked, you did what I asked, away with you, you come home. How many times do you really sit down and think about that? If you're like me, and you get so, it's, it's kind of like when someone says, hey, I'll do this. And they never, and the next time you say, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot, I'll do this. Eventually you get to the point to where what do you think? If they tell you they're going to do it so many times and they don't do it, do you think they're going to do it? No. And if we're not careful, that mindset can sink in with the return of Jesus. That we've been told about it our whole life, but he still hadn't come back, right? All this time, he still hadn't come back. 2,000 years later, he still hadn't come back. So I'm just going to live my life. Everything's going to be okay. But if you really look through Scripture, it's written everywhere. There, there is, it's, it's constantly reminded. Matthew 24, starting verse 37. We're just going to roll off some passages here. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Noah took serious the idea that a day of judgment was coming, was ahead of them. Let's skip this one and go to the next one here. Second Peter 3, verses 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, the day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promises, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where the righteousness, where righteousness dwells. Acts chapter 17. From one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps uh, reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from us. That was not the right passage. Uh, my, my, my apologies. Uh, Matthew 16. 
What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forget their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will be condemned. I want you to take all of that serious, because there's a couple of things that I want you to notice and think about it. In, in this way, number one is the urgency of responsibility that it gives us. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more later. But I want you to think about it in this way. Every disciple I don't make in that moment will rise to death. Every disciple that I don't make. You know, we, we have this habit in church, and I think it's because of our church culture, the history of our church, that we're so used to everybody. We're going to go to church, go to church, go to church. And like we've talked about, the idea of our uh, evangelism has always centered around the idea of going to church. But Scripture tells us over and over and over that it is our responsibility to go reach those people who are outside of the family and bring them, not wait on them. mm -mm. We don't stand here and wait. We go get. We are fishermen. How many of you have a lot of success when you go onto the bank or you get in the boat and you just sit there and you wait for the fish to jump in your boat? Any of you ever had any luck doing that? Anybody? One time, I've had one fish jump in my boat. And me and my buddy that were fishing were like, we're going home. Can't top that. You know, it doesn't work. We have a responsibility. We have a challenge, we have a commission from God to go out and find people and encourage them to come to God. This is not a sit in the building and wait. And as I think about that, I want you to understand that every person I choose to not share the gospel with, every person that I look at and say, I'm not going to take time to share Jesus with you, every person that I make the decision to say you're not maybe worthy or you've got too many problems. There's no Every time I decide to not share the, news, the good news of Jesus, I put someone in the position that when the day of judgment comes, they will raise to a life of death. Ultimately, it's their decision. But if I'm not willing to share, I've got some responsibility in that decision as well. Every disciple I don't make will rise to death. We need to take the judgment serious because that's the day when all of our work is seen. That's the payoff for what I do and what I've encouraged others to do. So we've got to be serious about this. But then the other side of it is this. Every disciple I do make will rise to what? Eternal life. And I think that's an important concept to remember as well. That judgment is not a day that as a child of God, as a Christian, that I have to worry about. It's not a day that I need to be scared of. If I'm walking in the light as he is in the light and I have fellowship with everybody and with the blood of Jesus as it continues to cleanse me, listen, on that day, you know what he's going to look at me and say? Good job. Good job. Come on home. I've got it ready. I've got it waiting for you. Everything's ready. Just, just come on in. And that's a day that should excite me. So it should be a day that brings, that brings an urgency of I've got to get out here and I've got to do what God wants me to do and I've got to do what I've been called to do. But it's also a day that I look forward to because I'm like, everything that I've done, this is the payoff. Every sacrifice I've made, this is the payoff. Everything that I've, 
you know, worried about and prayed about to God and tried to place in God's hand. All of, this is the payoff. The day of judgment is the payoff. But we rise up by realizing that the day of judgment is real and we live in its promise, but also in its urgency. <laughs> the next thing is this. We must be serious about sharing the fact that there is a place of safety. This goes back to <clears throat> what we were just talking about. So 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 19. After being made alive, he went and, and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our message, as we're taking this serious, and we're going out and sharing with people the good news of Jesus, the good news is this, that there is a problem, there is a disease in this world, and that disease is sin. And it will eat at the root of everything that we try to do. Sin will eat it and try to destroy it. But there is a safe place. There is a modern day ark. And it is the church. And to get into that church, you do what he says. He says, look, you, you are saved through water, just like these eight people were. And he says that water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. For you to get into that safe place, for you to be in Jesus, for you to come into contact with the resurrection and the power that is in the resurrection of Jesus, you make that decision to become a child of God, to have your sins washed away, and to live a life of a clear conscience towards him every day. We have to be willing to share this message with other people. This is not a popular message. No one wants to hear there could be something wrong in your life. And I have an answer. But kind of like we mentioned last week, it's not that we go around and we just tell everybody they're wrong. We just let our light shine. And as you let your light shine, it will shine into the darkness of other people's lives. And it will bring about change. It will show people that this is wrong and Christ is right. So just be a light, but be willing to show them and take serious the fact that we have a safe place. But then here's the third thing. If I'm going to rise up, I have to take this responsibility serious. I have to. And we've already touched on this, but let's kind of bring it home a little bit. Second Peter, starting in chapter 2, verses 5 and 9. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. So he's, he's in this whole section of talking about death and destruction for sin, okay? And he's making the point, and he says, there was a time that God said enough. And that time's coming again. So he says, it's enough. But in that moment, one man was protected. And he was a what? A preacher of righteousness, or a herald, or a proclaimer of righteousness. Not a preacher like Matthew. You pay me to get up here and teach. That's not what he's, he's talking about someone who, who shared their faith, who proclaimed the word of God to everybody. Okay, so we have a responsibility. Noah, as he's building the ark, also has a responsibility to continue to share the word of God with people. And to try to get them, to try to make disciples. Now, ultimately, did he succeed? We are not going to be judged on how many people we help get baptized. We're going to be judged on the effort that we put forth in that process. 
Because like I said, ultimately, whose responsibility is it? If I look at Riley and I'm trying to help Riley, and I know Riley's in sin, and I know Riley's living in a way he doesn't need to, I'm trying to bring him to Christ, and I pour all this energy and effort into it, and ultimately Riley goes, stop, I don't want to have anything to do with it, leave me alone. Who's responsible for that decision, myself or Riley? Riley. Jesus tells his disciples as they're going out and dealing with these things, he goes, you go into the town that don't want to have anything to do with me? What does he say? Shake the dust off your feet and go on. But at first, you show up and try. We're not going to be judged on, the end, on someone else's decision. We're going to be judged on our effort. We have to take it serious. He goes on in verse 9. He says, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the ungodly from trials and to hold the unrighteous, and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. But the only way people are rescued from their trials is by us sharing the word of God with them. For us standing up. Jesus' last words, and, and some of the last of this morning. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That is our mission. If we're going to stand up in an ungodly world and face the same challenges that Noah faced and live and walk with God, this is our calling. This is our direction. This is what we put in front of us every day. And as we go, we focus on discipleship, on the salvation message of Jesus. We focus on the importance of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we have to take it serious. It can't be something that's reserved for Sundays. It is a lifestyle that we've been called to. And if we don't take it serious, the world will continue to die. So that brings us to the end of our thoughts on the righteousness of Noah and his extraordinary faith. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, we thank you for the chance to, to be in your presence this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to humble our hearts before you and to circle around your table of thanks and sacrifice this morning for taking communion with one another to remember your son's death and his burial and ultimately maybe the most important his resurrection that brings power to all of it and we pray God that we realize that because of his death that there is going to come a time that everyone is judged and dies but for us that are following in his footsteps and have mirrored his death, burial, and resurrection through our own baptism, that we have the opportunity to live eternally, to face the first death, but never the second. We have the opportunity to, to rejoice with you and worship with you and walk with you and talk with you for, forever, God. And we're grateful for that. But help us to take our charge and our challenge and our responsibility on this side of that moment serious. Help us to walk with you and to proclaim your word, and to live in righteousness every opportunity we have. Help us to be like Abel and Enoch and Noah, God. We thank you for, we thank you for this passage and this text that gives us a challenge and an encouragement. It's in your son's name we pray. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Well, Thank you again for joining us, and please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast.
We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook. Instagram. And Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember to love like Jesus. Amen.